Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 41. Today, other early September terror attacks against the city. Hi, I'm Trace Gilton, founder of A Great Big City. Starting out with just a quick note on what's undoubtedly the top story this week, the September 11th attacks. It's a uniquely difficult subject to cover, and one that has a unique interpretation within the city, whether you witnessed it firsthand, or have come to understand it by living in the city, and walking the same streets that were the scene of what looked like a modern horror movie come to life. I won't be playing excerpts from eyewitness video of people's final moments. I won't be reinterpreting the attack as a patriotic celebration. I will ask that you look around and treat your fellow New Yorkers with kindness and compassion to honor those we lost. Those who were also regular, everyday New Yorkers walking these same streets until the attacks happened. The city was attacked because it's seen as a symbol across the world. And we can also be a symbol on how humans should treat each other and show that kindness is stronger than hate. Eighteen years ago, on September 11, 2001, the September 11th attacks destroyed three buildings in the World Trade Center complex, killing 2,606 people in and around the buildings and 147 people aboard the two planes. Also, 18 years ago, just one week after the September 11th attacks, a benefit concert and telethon is simulcast across 35 major television channels and raises over $200 million for the September 11th fund. The event was named America, a tribute to heroes, and featured musical performances from New York, London, and Los Angeles, and a variety of celebrities both hosting and answering calls. The money raised went toward cash assistance, counseling, and other services for individuals and businesses impacted by the September 11th attacks, and the fund would go on to distribute $528 million by 2004. Although Tribute to Heroes was the first fundraiser held, by October 2001, the Concert for New York City would be held at Madison Square Garden with another all-star lineup, and it would raise $35 million for first responders. And on October 21st, the United We Stand, What More Can I Give concert was headlined by Michael Jackson from Washington, D.C., but was unfortunately haunted by technical problems and scheduling issues with performers. Recently, I mentioned that four years ago, the MTA was facing a string of assaults on workers, and this week that same news appears again. The Transit Workers Union Local 100 reports that assaults on bus and subway workers are up 39% year-over-year, with 85 workers suffering various attacks in the first eight months of 2019. While the MTA and the state have been increasing the law enforcement presence in the subways, Transit Union President Tony Utano accused the MTA of concealing the increasing assault numbers and not making the statistics public. Earlier this year, the union had also called for greater police enforcement in the subway due to incidents where MTA workers were spit upon. This news of an increase in assaults comes as the transit union is in contract negotiations with the MTA, and workers have been without a contract since May 2019. The MTA is simultaneously trying to address increases in the homeless population within the subway system 
and a push from Governor Cuomo and MTA head Andy Byford to prosecute fare evasion. The MTA announced this week that they'll be hiring 500 new officers to join their own transit police force to enforce quality of life issues. This week brought the final sentencing of a student who attacked and stabbed two classmates at a Bronx school in 2017. Abel Cedeno was 18 years old at the time and stabbed two younger students with a spring-loaded knife he had purchased from Amazon. One victim survived and was in a coma for several days, and one of the victims was killed, making the attack the first killing inside a city school in over 20 years. This week, Cedeno received a 14-year prison sentence for manslaughter, eight years for assault, and 90 days for criminal possession of a weapon, all of which will be served simultaneously. Although the attack was initially explained as an ongoing bullying incident, the court documents describe the incident that precipitated the attack as a typical school interaction where one of the victims threw something that hit Cedeno, then claimed that he didn't intend to hit him, and then Cedeno challenged him to a fight and drew the knife. Further complicating the theory of ongoing bullying was testimony given during the trial that the two victims had not had much prior interaction with Cedeno. In an interview with ABC7, Cedeno claimed that he took the knife to school because he felt threatened and that when the attack occurred, he, quote, just snapped, unquote. In a stunning detail, Cedeno's mother had contacted the school two and a half years before the attack to tell them that he had been taking a knife to school but administrators failed to take proper action to log the event, instead simply searching his belongings one time and not notifying the school's principal of the mother's concerns. This week may mark the 18th year after the September 11th attacks, but another terror attack also took place in the city 99 years ago on September 16, 1920 when a horse-drawn wagon bomb exploded outside 23 Wall Street, killing 38 people and injuring hundreds. It was an unorthodox way of delivering a bomb, and no one knew the danger that was carried on a horse-drawn wagon as it was pulled along busy Wall Street. In the wagon was 100 pounds of dynamite, surrounded by 500 pounds of sash weights, which are heavy cast-iron weights used to counterbalance windows that slide open. The dynamite exploded at noon and sent the heavy shrapnel flying into the lunchtime crowd outside the financial buildings along Wall Street. The attack is still unsolved, but historians believe it was carried out by an Italian anarchist group. The sheer cruelty of the bombing, which seemed to have no intended target and killed a random assortment of innocent people who were nearby, made it difficult to even theorize what the intent of the bombers had been. The Federal Bureau of Investigation did find flyers with vague threats, stuffed in nearby mailboxes, but they did not directly reference the bombing. It became the worst single loss of life in the city since the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire from nine years earlier in 1911. Today, you can still see damage from the blast at 23 Wall Street, where part of the stone wall has been preserved, showing the chips in the stone from the projectiles in the explosion. Just around the corner from the 23 Wall Street bombing, eight years ago on September 17, 2011, the Occupy Wall Street movement gathers in the financial district, eventually settling in a camp at Zuccotti Park. After planning to camp in either Chase Manhattan Plaza or Bowling Green Plaza, 
The group lucked out and selected Zuccotti Park, which is designated as a privately owned public space. The park's status put the protest in a kind of limbo between rules the city could enforce, with police being able to monitor the camp from the sidewalk surrounding it, but otherwise needing to be invited onto the property by Brookfield, the property's owner. The protest camp would last two months until the early morning hours of November 15th, when the group was evicted from Zuccotti Park by the city, after courts ruled that the protesters did not have a First Amendment right to camp in the park. A happy anniversary goes out this week to a New York institution. 168 years ago, on September 18, 1851, the first edition of the New York Daily Times is published. Six years later, the paper would shorten its name to the New York Times. The paper published six days a week with morning and evening editions and charged one penny for the day's news. A larger, weekly version was printed to be distributed outside the city. Times Square would not be renamed after the paper for another 53 years, so the first offices were downtown at 113 Nassau Street near City Hall Park, then 138 Nassau Street, and then 41 Park Row. By 1904, the paper would move to the Times Tower in what was then known as Long Acre Square before it was renamed Times Square in honor of the paper. After establishing the Times Square New Year's Eve ball drop from atop their building, the paper would again outgrow the location, expanding and moving some offices westward until completely relocating to their current building on 8th Avenue. For a bit of local news, the very first edition of the New York Daily Times contained a front-page story on the ongoing construction of the fountain in Washington Square Park, which would be completed one year later in 1852. In another attack against the city that gets forgotten in the shadow of 9-11, 18 years ago, on September 18, 2001, one week after the September 11th attacks, letters containing anthrax poison were mailed to four New York City-area newsrooms and two Democratic senators, killing five people. The letters appeared to have been mailed from Princeton, New Jersey, and a public mailbox near the Princeton University campus was found to be contaminated with anthrax spores. Letters mailed to Democratic senators in October 2001 contained a similar threatening note referencing the September 11th attacks. In all, 17 people were sickened and 5 people were killed due to anthrax exposure. Victims included assistants who opened or handled the letters, postal workers who spotted the letters, and a woman from the Bronx whose exposure could never be determined. Although the letters were written to appear as if they were from Muslim extremists, an FBI investigation identified the perpetrator as an American microbiologist, vaccinologist, and senior biodefense researcher at a government facility in Maryland. Bruce Edwards Ivins, a 62-year-old white male, became the focus of the investigation seven years after the incidents, after which he started to show signs of strain and was involuntarily committed to a psychiatric hospital where he went on to suggestively discuss the anthrax letters during therapy sessions. Ivans died by suicide on July 29, 2008, after learning that he had been identified, and the FBI formally closed the case in 2010, identifying Ivans as the sole perpetrator of the letters and detailing how he falsified evidence and attempted to frame co-workers at the governmental research lab to throw investigators off the case. 
It was back in July when we discussed mosquitoes first testing positive for the West Nile virus within the city. And this week, the first human West Nile infections were documented, with one confirmed infection in Brooklyn, two in Queens, and one in Staten Island. Although mosquitoes testing positive for the disease have been found in every borough, now is the time to be prepared and protect yourself from mosquitoes if you'll be outside. Wear clothing that covers your skin, use a mosquito repellent containing the chemical repellents DEET or picaridin, or use a natural repellent containing oil of lemon eucalyptus. Be sure to seal around window air conditioners so that mosquitoes won't have an easy entrance into your home, and use window screens if you'll be leaving windows open. If you'll be traveling overseas, take special precaution to avoid mosquito bites and research which vaccinations you'll need to avoid diseases that are common in the areas where you'll be traveling. If you're staying in the city, you can even do your part by calling 311 to report standing water, defined as a place on public or private property where water gathers and remains for more than five days, creating a habitat where mosquitoes may breed. And the city may have escaped the effects of the most recent Hurricane Dorian, but 81 years ago on September 21, 1938, a Category 3 hurricane made landfall on Long Island, becoming one of the most powerful hurricanes ever recorded to hit New England. It became known as the 1938 New England Hurricane and heavily impacted Long Island, although winds were only 60 to 70 miles per hour within New York City, with eastern Long Island taking the worst damage. An estimated 682 people were killed, with damages equivalent to $4.7 billion. Coming up next on the Great Big City. This woman bought what she thought was a watermelon, but you won't believe what happened next. Coming up. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? I said no already. Coming up next. Homeowners in Oswego, New York can't believe this one weird trick. Other news websites are quick to trick their readers with clickbait headlines and undercover ads, but a great big city is dedicated to keeping the news straightforward and factual. If a great big city has kept you informed over the years, make a contribution at agreatbigcity.com support. And if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Would you like to enable desktop notifications? Oh, not again. Park of the Day. Galileo Playground in Morris Heights in the Bronx. Previously named Macombs Park, Galileo Playground is located in Morris Heights in the West Central Bronx. A former vacant lot, the land for the playground was assigned to the City of New York and Parks of Recreation on December 30, 1993, and construction of the new playground was completed in the fall of 1999 and it features jungle gyms and spray showers. In parks events, check out some birds of prey up close at the Central Park Raptor Fest. Saturday, September 14th, the urban park rangers will bring a selection of eagles, falcons, owls, and hawks to this family-friendly event on the East Lawn in Central Park, just inside the east border of the park at 99th Street. The event is free and starts at noon. Call 212 360 2774 for more info. And on Sunday, there will be the 39th Annual Antique Motorcycle Show in Queens at the Queens County Farm Museum. 
Sunday, September 15th, over 100 antique motorcycles will be part of the show, and live music and food will be available. Tickets will cost $11 at the door and benefit the Queens County Farm Museum. The event runs from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. at Queens Farm Park on the border of Glen Oaks and Floral Park in Queens. Call 718-347-3276 for more info. And now let's see where our robot friend will be riding off to this weekend on the concert calendar. Here's the AGBC concert calendar for the upcoming week. Gravity and Day 6 are playing the PlayStation Theater on Friday, September 13th. Two Door Cinema Club and Overcoats are playing Manhattan Center Hammerstein Ballroom on Friday, September 13th. Joanna Newsom is playing El Teatro of El Museo del Barrio on Friday, September 13th. Amadou are playing Music Hall of Williamsburg on Saturday, September 14th. Camelot, Battle Beast, and Sonata Arctica are playing PlayStation Theater on Saturday, September 14th. The Growlers, the Lemonheads, and the Nude Party are playing Summer Stage NYC on Saturday, September 14th. Dr. Dog and Shaky Graves are playing the rooftop at Pier 17 on Saturday, September 14th. Japanese Breakfast is playing New House on Saturday, September 14th. Lo and Christopher Tigner are playing Murmur Theatre on Saturday, September 14th. Jethro Tull is playing Forest Hills Stadium in Forest Hills on Saturday, September 14th at 7pm. Brandy Carlisle and Mavis Staples are playing Madison Square Garden on Saturday, September 14th at 8pm. Gypsy Kings are playing the Beacon Theatre on the Upper West Side on Saturday, September 14th at 8pm. Salt and Pepper and Lonnie Love are playing the King's Theatre on Saturday, September 14th at 8pm. The Body and Assembly of Light are playing the Bell House on Sunday, September 15th. The Backstreet Boys are playing the Prudential Center on Sunday, September 15th at 8 p.m. Marina and Dea are playing Rumsey Playfield, Central Park in Midtown East on Monday, September 16th at 7 p.m. Angels and Airwaves are playing the PlayStation Theater on Tuesday, September 17th. Cold, Awake for Days, and University Drive are playing Brooklyn Bazaar on Tuesday, September 17th. Phantom Planet is playing Elsewhere on Wednesday, September 18th. Malcolm Mooney and the 11th Planets are playing Union Pool on Wednesday, September 18th. Mac DeMarco is playing Brooklyn Steel and Greenpoint on Thursday, September 19th at 8 p.m. Madonna is playing the Howard Gilman Opera House in Borum Hill on Thursday, September 19th at 8 p.m. Link 182, Lil Wayne, and Neck Deep are playing the Barclays Center on Friday, September 20th at 7 p.m. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not know about New York. If you see a damaged, broken, or dying tree in the city, you can submit a tree service request online notifying the Department of Parks Forestry Division of the location so that they can tend to the tree or possibly remediate the dangerous situation. Extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history. A record high of 94 degrees on September 13, 1952 and a record low of 44 degrees on September 15, 1876. Weather for the week ahead, possible light rain tomorrow and Sunday, with high temperatures peaking at 84 degrees on Monday. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City, and email contact at agreatbigcity.com with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, 
Radio Public, Overcast FM, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Our intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosevear, and the concert calendar music is from jukedeck.com. Thanks for being part of a great big city.